Welcome to Archiving AK, a podcast of archives and special collections at the UAA APU Consortium Library in Anchorage, Alaska. We're here to talk about what we do, what our researchers are up to, and to give you a closer look at the world of archives. I'm Arlene, one of the archivists here at the Consortium Library. This episode of our podcast is a conversation I had recently with Aaron Wall. Aaron is a writer and archivist who recently co-authored an article on how creative writers can approach archival research and using archives in their work. I took the opportunity to talk to her about it. So why don't we start out by having you introduce yourself, whatever you want to tell me, tell us, tell our listeners about you. Okay, well, um, my name is Erin Wall, and I am the instruction coordinator at uh, New Mexico State University right now. And um, I used to be uh, an archivist at the (laughs) University of Alaska in Fairbanks. So that's how I know you, Arlene, and a bunch of other people, too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I thought that was kind of cool to have that Alaska connection, even though you're no longer in Alaska. So um, I, I think, I'm trying to think because, I mean, I knew you when you worked for the UAF archives, but I think we met in person for the first time while you were working with the 49 Riders. Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk a little bit about what 49 Riders is and what you did with it? Yeah, yeah. So 49 Writers is a nonprofit group in Alaska, and they are, they basically support creative writers within the state. And they've grown an awful lot since they they started, and then even more actually since I was involved with them a while ago. Um, but I, yeah, I did meet you when I was uh, working with them for a summer teaching uh, like a short workshop class on researching mm-hmm. and creative, uh, researching in archives for your creative writing projects. And so I, I uh, met you and I met some folks at the Anchorage Museum. All right. Okay. Because you actually brought, a, brought some groups in. So that kind, of takes, that kind of takes me to what the theme of what I want to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. You just recently published an article. I will put a link to that on the podcast page because I don't have the title in front of me, but you can say it. You oh, yeah. It. So uh, how, how creative writers can work with archivists. That was it. Mm -hmm. Um, part of the reason I find this fascinating and I really wanted to talk to you today was because, you know, as archivists, we serve a lot of people from a lot of different disciplinary areas. And I don't, I'm not a polymath. I don't have knowledge in every single subject or discipline area in which my researchers are working. I mean, I'm just not that good. But, you know, you throw some physics in a collection or you throw some geology or economics. I I can see it in the records. But creative writing could be anything. So let's go into that a little bit. Because I don't always feel like I'm serving creative writers very well because I I don't know what approach they're going to take. So what role do you see archival research playing in creative writing? Well, I find that more and more creative writers are interested, like that there's a growing amount of interest in using archives and creative work. And of course, uh, my other master's degree is in creative writing. Yes. In um, poetry and creative nonfiction. So that that article in particular is like, 
it's kind of like a love letter to both of this, these professions <laughs> that I like so much. And I really want them to get along. So I'm like, this was an attempt by, by me and my co-author, Pam Pierce, to kind of like demystify archives for creative writers. And it's, I, I would argue that both archivists and creative writers can get something out of the article, but it was really important for us to publish that article in a creative writing, in an open access creative writing journal, because we wanted to get outside of the discipline. We wanted our work to be interdisciplinary and to be useful as a text. So that that article is in many ways like a crash course in archives for creative writers, but <laughs> there aren't a ton of things out there um, doing that. You're, you're right, creative writing can be kind of anything. Of course, we all recognize the genres of uh, fiction and and poetry and creative nonfiction. Um, There's also like visual writing, um, video essays, photographic essays. Um, There's something called erasure poetry where you take take a text that is uh, published or not, just a text that exists in the world, and then you you black out everything except for the words you want to create a, a poem out of that text. Like there's, oh, there's all cool. sorts of ways you can, it's really cool. And there's all sorts of ways you can, you can use uh, text. So we think about creative writers going into archives as like for fact checking, which hundred percent has to happen. If you're okay. writing something with a historical bent in it at all, you need to check your information. You're, you're probably going to end up in an archives at some point. Um, <laughs> But there are all sorts of other things that you can do with creative writing in the archives with archival materials. Okay. Yeah, see, this is kind of where I struggle because, you know, fact-checking, obviously, if you're doing something that has any sort of historical anything to it, yes. But, you know, I know when we were talking with 49 writers, one of the things you were suggesting is people use archival material, you know, whatever it may be, as as kind of a, a jumping off point, a place for inspiration. And I guess that's where I struggle most, because usually when people walk in the door, they have a very defined subject, or they're checking something specific. And it's, you know, somebody comes in and says, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing yet. And I immediately kind of turn into this little clenched ball of archivist who doesn't know because <laughs> I, mean, I could make there's there's too many suggestions to be made and not enough you know what I mean you've talked to the creative writers about a crash course for them on how to use archives but what would you say to the archivists yeah that's a very good point and and that I'm pretty sure we covered that in the in the article as well like you can walk into an archives and say, what do you have that's cool? But maybe before you get there, try to narrow down like what you're looking for a little bit. Right. <laughs> because, because we see such cool things when we're archivists. We see such cool things every single day. And then there's, and that's not even going into the stories behind how you get collections, which are sometimes like so insane and crazy that it, they make a story into themselves. So if you're working specifically with a creative writer, which I, I feel like most people identif- will identify themselves as like, I'm a creative writer, I'm looking for a project, I'm looking right. for, for something to write about. Um, that, that reference, that whole reference interview thing is really, really important. And we know that as archivists uh, anyway, because of how 
how needle in a haystack archival research can be. It's wholly different from any other kind of research that one would do, uh, which is why creative writers can have a problem with it because they're not used to it. There's no one en entry that's going to tell you exactly what you need. You're going to have to, you're going to have to dig. Right. Um, but I think for if somebody has like no idea what they're looking for, <laughs> it's just like narrowing down what what is this project? What do they have in their head? What mm -hmm. are they working with poetry? Are they working with fiction? What kind of what kind of work do they typically do? Are do they have something? Are they searching for a whole collection that they can tell the story of? Do they want just certain single certain documents that are that are strange in some way? Archivists may know about those collections. Uh, for example, one of my favorite uses of, um, and I, I'll shout, the, shout her out every single time, one of my favorite <laughs> uses of archival work is Nicole Stellan O'Donnell's book, Steam Laundry, where she mm. went through a collection at University of Alaska Fairbanks. And uh, she was writing poems based on this woman's life and the, the letters that she was reading. And then eventually she realized uh, at one point that the letters, like she needed to have some of the documents included in the book as well. So if you read through that book, you've got all these wonderful poems. And then there, throughout there are uh, pictures, images of some of the archival documents that she was working with, because there are some things that are, were just like too good not to have in there for other people to see. And so you can get this back and forth. It's like a, almost like a conversation between the, the real and then, the, and then the, the story that's being told by the author, if that makes sense. So figuring out what, kind of what, and then, and then being willing and an understanding that depending on what, the author looks looks at depending on what how their initial session goes things could they could change their mind in the middle um, right. and be drawn to something that they didn't even expect well and we see that all the time with all of our researchers because it's one of the hardest parts about archival research at the same time i think is it's one of the best parts is it's all about the context it may not be the photo on page four that you think you want but when you flip past it to page seven and there's another variant on that photo that goes in a totally different direction that you weren't expecting suddenly it's like oh because we find people changing their topics and that's that's when archives become a black hole for time <laughs> yeah because <laughs> you start getting dragged off it's the serendipity aspect Mm -hmm. I think that that is is what makes so much so much value out of an archival research session. It's just, just or you know the two letters, you know, the initial letter, you think you've got the smoking gun for what it is you were trying to come up with, but you know, three letters on the person retracts everything they ever said. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, so you know, I I think one of the one of the challenges too, you know, I'm in an academic institution, you're in an academic institution, we're both in libraries, and you're an instruction coordinator now. Um, we teach classes for faculty and for students around the university. I would say as far as that goes, we've actually had pretty good luck with our English department, our creative writing department. They tend to come to us for a lot of things. But if you were reaching out on behalf of the archives 
to somebody teaching a creative writing course, what is kind of your sales pitch you would use for trying to convince them to use, use your materials as part of their curriculum? That's a great, that's a great question. So we're really lucky here at NMSU in that our archives already had, before I even got here, already had a great relationship with the English department. And there are, there are uh, professors here that specifically bring their creative writing classes in for archival research and, our, and training. Uh, one of the reasons I became an instruction coordinator is because there's sometimes a disconnect between what the archives does and what the library does in an academic institution. Right. And I, I wanted to be... I wanted, I thought it might be useful for me to be on the library side and um, know when to direct people to archives and, and be able to say, like, have you ever considered taking your class into the archives? So I think that one of the things that we can do is, is develop a really good relationship with the library side and particularly those people who are in reference and instruction that are going to see, might see people in other disciplines more often mm-hmm. um, can be really, really useful. Make sure they know what you do and the value and, and it's really, it's really good here at NMSU, for example, but it's not that way all the time. <laughs> right, right. Not, yeah. yeah, not everybody functions exactly the same. And, you know, everybody's got a lot on their plate. I can talk about archives, but please don't ask me to talk about library resources. And, and why would I expect differently of the librarians? They, they aren't, their job isn't to be experts on our holdings. Their yeah. job is to be experts on absolutely everything else in this building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But knowing when to like refer people is such a powerful thing. And getting and when I mean when I was doing my archival, my my archives work, what I guess what I really, really wanted was an art outreach archivist position. And there just weren't many of those available at the time. So I decided to sort of kind of create my own um, <laughs> by moving and doing what I wanted to. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, when I so when I reach out when I reach out now to groups that are not typical archives users, what I what I usually do is I offer them I offer them uh, ways that they archives might be useful to their class. So I do it specifically. I target who I'm contacting mm-hmm. uh, to disciplines and sometimes even assignments. If if an assignment comes to the reference desk a lot, and I'm like they man, they would really benefit from sending their students to the archives. They might actually find some really cool stuff. I would reach out specifically and say, have you thought about going to the archives? This is the way, these are the different ways they can help you. They do instruction as well. They run their own reading room. I would also offer uh, suggestions of like lesson plans or scaffolding for assignments too, Mm -hmm. which is really, which uh, a lot of professors really appreciate uh, help on like scaffolding in some research in ways that make it um, manageable for their students. Right. So there's that. So what do you kind of see as the dream assignment for an introductory creative writing class that might have an archival component? What would you suggest to the professor that they think about as a potential assignment? Would you take like a couple of archival documents and construct assignments or come up with suggestions for questions of or writing assignments that might be developed off of them or uh, what would you what would kind of be your one of the starting places for you so it would it would probably it would depend a little bit on it would probably depend a little bit on what the faculty member is interested in in seeing from their students honestly but yeah I would suggest perhaps like a themed 
a themed assignment to give okay. the students a little, especially with intro to creative writing students, because sometimes they can be all over the place. <laughs> so I would say like, let's do a themed assignment. We're going to be looking at, I don't know, like collections of correspondence and how would you, and then you can talk to your students about how you would take the correspondence and read through it and craft a story from letters. Ah, okay. So that would be very easy. Similarly, a diary. So how would you take a diary and you don't want to, you don't want to publish the diary, but you're going to create the story. You don't need every entry. How would you, how would you pull this together into a story or pull it together into a poem that tells about this person's life, perhaps? Okay. And well, and see, I think that's one of my struggles is because, um, and it's so funny because as archivists, we're kind of trained to look at the media of materials as well as the content. So whether it's correspondence, whether it's a diary, whether it's photographs, whether it's business letters, whether it's business records of some other ilk, you know, ledgers, that kind of thing. You know, that's a pretty standard method of description for us. But yet at the same time, I think like so many other human beings, we think in terms of content and subject when, when somebody comes to us. So it's, I think that's a great reminder is to take that step back and think of what is the material type along with what is the subject? Because yeah, they may wanna do content oriented materials, but sometimes there's a reason we talk about things as correspondence or photographs, and we'd make those kind of intellectual divisions when we're describing collections, because that actually says something about what's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Correspondence is a discussion. A diary might not be. So, okay, that's, thank you. You're making me think. I'm coming up with all these questions now, and I don't know how to <laughs> word them. <laughs> I should just shut up and let you talk for a while, because I'm going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> This is so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) It is. So Um, I I know we're going to be pointing everybody to your article and hopefully you'll get like a gazillion downloads. Yeah, right. Um, That is the dream of every academic, isn't it? Let's work from the assumption that our audience is not all archivists. Maybe there's some people interested in creative writing out there who may be archivists or otherwise. Absolutely. (laughs) Give me a synopsis. Give me a, the really short version of the things you would say to a creative writer who may be thinking about going into an archives for the first time. Take a sweater. <laughs> oh, now that's not fair. We don't want people work in the vault. <laughs> I was always, I was always cold in the archives. Always, I had like three sweaters, and sometimes I had to wear them all. Um, I, I actually feel that way about the library in general. I think it's just huge buildings that they never managed to make the HVACs work over that kind of space. So, plus you're sitting still for a very long time, and maybe that's part of it. But we don't. Our, our research room is actually kept at a very nice 72 degrees. It just feels colder than that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, take a sweater. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, so like, look, look before you go. Ah, look okay. Before you go, and especially digital collections. And I think that this is the first thing that you should suggest to a creative writer. And I I would also tell them to contact the archives first. So look, look at the website, take a look at what they have, contact them, tell them, tell them when, when you're coming in, ask them if they have any, anything special that you need to know, tell them what you've already looked at. 
and then and then kind of give them an idea about the project so that you guys because as a creative writer you want to warn if you're coming in and you're not 100% sure what you're, you want to look at, you want to warn that archivist ahead of time because it's already going to make, they're going to walk, you're going to walk in and they're already going to know, like, they don't know exactly what they want, but I know they're coming in on Tuesday and these are the things that I do know. So it gives <laughs> you guys time to do a little bit of initial digging. Um, also, like, going to the digital collections is really important. Um, it can give people an idea of what is out there especially right. since and I mean Alaska in particular has fabulous digital collections you guys really play to your audience um you know that not everybody can get to Anchorage <laughs> to do research um not everybody even has internet so right um you guys have great digital collections there um but digital collections is kind of like the gateway drug they can it can give them <laughs> an idea of what you have and where they can go with it and so if they if they're looking at the digital collections ahead of time, they may walk in um, after that initial email and say, you know, I've been looking at the digital collections and I have narrowed it down a little bit more. And mm. it can give them an idea of, you know, what maybe what collections they would want to see. Going back just a half a step, because I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> I, I am occasionally good about that. You know, the, the calling ahead of time is so or getting in touch with people ahead of time now isn't so important I mean especially now yeah we're dealing with COVID a lot of us are by appointment only if we're even accessible but that aside even when COVID's over whole bunches of archives all over this nation have gone through some really nasty budget cuts and they just don't have the staffing at the point at which we don't have pandemic restrictions on our access my particular archives is probably going to stay by appointment only because we had a pre-COVID um, staff reduction. Um, we're under a hiring freeze. One of my archivists left for two people, you know, five days a week, 30 hours of reference a week isn't going to happen. It just, it can't when two of us have to be here at the same time for any research appointments. So we're pretty good. I mean, we've done a huge number of, of reference hours um, you know, on-site researcher appointments over the last several months and plan to keep that up, we, we do whatever we can. But yeah, that's, that's a real struggle for a whole lot of archives. COVID aside, it's just, there's been so many budget cuts in so many ways that a lot of places are struggling. So the heads up is plus, especially if you're planning to go through bunches of different collections, it gives us a chance to figure out what it's going to take to get it to you when you sit down at that table. But the thinking time, you know, I'm probably not going to do a ton of research on somebody's behalf, but, you know, it's interesting that archivists, like librarians, don't get to read. We know this. That's the joke about librarians. I want to be a librarian because I want to read books. No, no librarian gets a ton of time at work to read books. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Archivists don't actually get a play in the documents nearly as much as everybody thinks. Having said that, we are pulling them for researchers. We are doing some description. Every so often, something will have read something that is just such a tiny part of something. It would never show up in a description of the collection because it was just like maybe a, an offhand comment in a letter that for some reason we read that with that little bit of thinking time, our memories can kick in, the processing time. We have it plugged in the back of our head when you come in and it's something like, you know, come to think of it. <laughs> 
and then we look omniscient and people think we know everything and we mess it all up for ourselves all over again because they think we've read every document in our holdings <laughs> <laughs> right or i would remember things that i i found talking to researchers was really an important part of my job when i was uh, when i when I moved to uh, alaska and I, I got the job at the archives there talking to the researchers was really important because they would tell me what they were working on and what they were seeing. And I would, if I could remember that, then I could remember that collection and, and pull it for other people who were looking right. for something similar too. So there's a lot of learning that happens on that job. I think archives has the biggest learning curve of any, any library job. I think that I can say that and not be wrong, honestly. <laughs> it's it's well, absolutely like- amazing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, well, it's, it's because we don't, everything's unique, right? Or mostly everything's unique. And uh, there, there really is, it's it's very funny, because I do occasionally run into people who want to know, well, I want to find the person who processed thus and such collection, because they're going to have the answer to my question. And I'll be like, that's a 300 box collection, I can promise you did they didn't read every document in it um that's a kind thought but you know realistically we're going off of context (laughs) context cues but you're right about the conversations with researchers and the researchers that do us the best too are the ones who talk to us about what they're finding and why it matters you know suddenly they'll say oh i wasn't expecting to see this here but i saw this and you're like Oh, I've got four other researchers who've been researching on this topic, this broad topic. This could come in useful for them. Mm-hmm. So, no, you're absolutely right. So, yes, definitely talk back to the archivist during the process, too. <laughs> yeah, very helpful. Yeah, because every time, and then, and just like you said, every time a researcher talks to me, they they may make just like the one one tiny comment and it makes me think of another collection and I'm like you know what you may want to look at you may want to look at this other collection because I know that there's I don't know where it is but I know there's something (laughs) in here about that yeah it's a process it's not Mm -hmm. a one one and done thing it's not like I hand you a book and you go off to check the table of contents or the index it's it's amazing how one thought can lead to the next that can lead to another idea or another collection you're absolutely right Okay, so we have sweaters, do some research ahead of time, look at the digital collections, talk to your archivist. Is that about it? Or is there, you know, is there anything that you as a creative writer who have used archives for your work, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, really wish you'd known before you did it? That's a hard question, because I think I started using archives for my work after I I started working in them. Um, Ah, okay, yeah, different perspective. Yeah, something that creative writers wouldn't normally think about is, it's in the article, is uh, citing. Oh, yeah. Do they need to cite? How should they cite (laughs) something? Citing and then keeping track of what they have found. Because (laughs) that, if there is, so I recommend finding out what the rules are for scanning or photocopying or taking pictures with your phone. And then I, and then recommending, like, asking the archivist, like how, if you were going to look for this document again, how would you find it? Because the archivist is probably going to tell you, you take a picture of the box, you take a picture of the folder it's in Mm -hmm. at the very least. And you make sure that, and maybe, and then a picture of the document too, and then keep track of what you're doing, write down, like this picture goes with these two. (laughs) And so, so that you don't, but it's like a process. If you want to go back to something, you need to make sure you know where that is because 
it's 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 not like you get to like put bookmark bookmarks everywhere <laughs> no no we don't really go for the bookmark sticky note method of remembering where are you <laughs> no were not at all <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, don't get to like yeah. remove the things that you want and save them for later well so. you know and we've got kind of a multi-pronged approach because we when we have people take photographs of collections because normally if somebody asks us for copies of materials we have a use form they have to fill out and it mm -hmm. specifies the citation it talks about their rights that kind of thing what they can do with this material whether there's copyright issues or whatever else but when somebody's taking photographs in a collection, they're not signing that paperwork. So we do actually have a form. We ask them to kind of track what they're taking photographs of, not item by item, obviously. Not when you have somebody come in and take 14,000 photographs in one research session. And I've had people do that. Uh, research sessions spread over a week, I should specify, because they have to get photographs because they're not from here they don't have time to sit down and read and take notes they have to get snapshots that they can process later so you know we we suggest like you said box folder or we have actually handed out little pieces of paper in the past where they can write the box and folder on and just get that in the frame of the photograph because whether or not you as a researcher need to revisit it for the content, you may need to revisit it for the citation or the collection, or you may decide, you know what, I actually want to incorporate a photo of that in my end work. I need a better copy or a scan of it. And, you know, I, I get this. And it's usually five years later, right? It's, yeah. it's somebody publishing five years later, and they suddenly come to us and say, okay, I, I took this photo, but it was in a collection that I used five years ago. And I'll be like, huh, we probably track use more than most other archives do. We have a registration system. We dock for our own stats because part of what justifies our budget is people using us. So we try and track, okay, which collections are getting used the most? Um, probably not to box level within that. So we can probably narrow it down and I can say, oh, you use these four collections while you were here. Which one does this kind of match? But I'm not going to spend three hours retracing your footsteps in those collections. I, I do need you to point down to folder level at least yeah. if that's an option. Yeah, absolutely. And then also like another important thing is if, if this person is coming in and expecting to use photographs, a lot of people think I got it at the library or I got it at the archive. So it's free. So yeah. understanding like getting that paperwork and getting the paperwork for um, uh, use fees, if there are any, or any copyright issues, finding that out ahead of time. And then when you're actually ready to, um, when you're actually ready to, to maybe use, to use the photo or use the, the image, um, double checking that it hasn't changed, of course. Um, right, right. Yeah, I mean, well, for example, it's a long time, so. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes research projects, you'll, you'll be building them over time. Whatever you may have been doing research yes. on at one point, may, you may go revisit that topic years later and say, you know what, there was a different angle. I could have gone in and I want to do that now. And I'm, I'm going to put my definite archivist hat on. There's another reason, too. It's like if you let the archives know what you're producing, the archives need that information. Because we are constantly defending our very existences. We, we are constantly having to justify ourselves. It's a terrible way to live. 
Absolutely. But, and that's the, that's the great thing about creative, like getting people from other disciplines, like creative writing and using materials, because you can, you can only say like, it's historical information so many times before it becomes almost like, um, like white noise to people, but like right. to say, this is historical information and it's used by so many other disciplines. This is a, yeah, that's a really right. powerful thing to be able to point to. Well, and it's, it's a really, use is, use is going to be the thing that saves us. Mm -hmm. The fact that people are using us, the fact is that what we have is being brought to a larger stage. That's what's going to save us. So we really do actually need to know when people make use of our materials and send it out into the bigger world because it allows us to put that in our reports, to, to kind of push it out. I know my boss loves to see our occasional posts about, ooh, we showed up in this journal here. Uh, yeah. you know, it really gives us that opportunity to say, you know what, we are actively being used. We are important. People need us. Mm -hmm. and, and that relationship, to be able to build that relationship with the user and to have them regard us as a you know, we're not responsible for what they do. I'm not going to take any credit for anything any creative writer has ever produced based on our holdings. But our stuff did play a role in that. And the work that we did with it to make it accessible played a role in that. Maybe a minor one, but it's still there. So it's really important um, that we know so we can turn that around to the people who allocate our resources and say, you got to keep doing this. Because what we do is important, it's being used, it's being pushed out, people are learning from this. We're fulfilling our role as an educational institution. Uh, so, so all of those things are, it's, again, it's a process, I guess. That's one of the things that just reminded me of one of our professors in the Department of English here when um, I met him for his for the first time when he was actually here for new faculty orientation some years ago. He said, I assign my students tasks from the archives and assignments all the time. They can't plagiarize when they use archives because the chances are that somebody has already done that work with that specific document and it's out on the web somewhere for them to find. It isn't going to be the case. He likes it when his students use unique materials for many reasons, but one of the aspects really is to do unique original work. And I thought that plagiarism aside, the, the thought that you can truly come up with something different. And yeah. I think that's, you know, that's, that's the goal of all creative writers, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And creative writers write for, they write for a different audience than historians do. Mm -hmm. And they write in a different, they really bring, they bring things to life in a really different way. Right. And um, that's a powerful thing to have on your side. A giant thank you to Erin for joining me for this discussion. And thanks to anybody listening. I hope you found it as interesting as I did. If you'd like to read Erin's article, there's a link to it on the page for this podcast on the Archives and Special Collections website. That's at archives.consortiumlibrary.org. Just look under the News and Events tab for the podcast listings. On that site, you'll also see a listing of all the podcast episodes we've released so far.